Hello everyone and welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. Here we'll discuss everything related to the wide world of automobiles, including culture, news, games, interviews, and events. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to today's Sunday special. Today we actually have a bit of a different article from Rodentrack, written by Mac Hogan about the Need for Speed franchise. I saw this article come about on their, I think on their homepage a little while ago and thought that the title was kind of interesting, skimmed it, and thought this article was definitely worth a read for this week's Sunday special. Well, I say this week, for a Sunday special, which happens to be now. Anyway, though, let's get into it. How Need for Speed became the world's biggest racing game. What started out as a collaboration with Rodentrack grew into one of the world's largest gaming franchises. Senior feature editor Doug Cott, I hope I got that right, takes the Porsche 911 hot into a corner and lifts off the gas. The 911 starts to rotate. The rear engine performance icon's trademark liftoff oversteer snapping the back end around. Two and a half decades later, he still recalls being stunned by that moment. Cott wasn't on a racetrack. He was in his Newport Beach office playing a beta version of what would become of what would become Road and Track Presents The Need for Speed. And for the first time in his life, he was seeing a digital car rendered on the cutting-edge 3DO game console behave like its real-life counterpart. Cot being the one to test the game was no coincidence. The market was full of simple racing games, unsophisticated stuff paying a little mind to how real cars behaved. Hanno Lemke, Lemke maybe? The producer behind the Need for Speed wanted to make a driving game that immersed you in the perfect drive, that gave you a window into what the best road cars could actually do, and how. We wanted you to smell the leather, hear the gated shifter, and all the unique sounds of the engines, Lemke said. We wanted the experience to be what it might be like for the player to have the keys to that car for a day. That degree of authenticity required lots of performance data, detailed drive impressions, of the cars themselves and ample feedback on the virtual cars developed for the game. So Lemke and his team from game studio Electronic Arts, a little unfortunate but whatever, approached Rodentrack, hoping to use the magazine's name to bestow credibility on the fledgling series and the staff to fine-tune the game. Rodentrack sent photography assets, testing data, and detailed drive impressions on cars such as the Porsche 911 and the Lamborghini Diablo to EA. Editors were required to put in a minimum number of hours on beta versions of the game. EA used that feedback to instill the digital cards with the personalities and qualities that defined their metal and leather counterparts. The game grew to encompass more than just road and track. After its well-received release on the niche 3DO platform, the Need for Speed was ported to MS-DOS, PlayStation, Sega Saturn, and Microsoft Windows. Sequels included blockbuster hits like Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit, Need for Speed Underground, and Need for Speed Most Wanted. And though its tie-in with Rodentrack ended after the original game, the missions and attitudes of the two brands moved in the same direction. Our goal was with each iteration to create a different story, a different experience for players while retaining the core tenets of the franchise, which were real cars, car culture, car passion. It's about the experience, not just who's the fastest around the track said Lemke, who shepherded the series through 2007's Pro Street. The game series was defined by this appetite for change. Its domain encompassed car culture, whatever form that might take. At the outset, NFS focused mostly on supercars and open-road drives, sending players in Ferraris and Lamborghinis down incredible coastal highways. 
But as the audience got younger, and the supercars looked less and less attainable, Lemke wanted to meet enthusiasts where they were. The pop culture presence of tuner cars and modification was booming, evoking a rebellious counterculture of rowdy driving, sideshows, and bold music. So Forza Horizon before Forza Horizon. The 2003 release of Need for Speed Underground dove into this, bringing the late-night racing of Slam Civics, boosted S2000s, and tuned Integras to the forefront. Supercars and proper racetracks were intentionally absent. The game was about regular roads, Dodge Neons, and Ford Focuses. Not satisfied with making supercars feel accessible to players, Need for Speed set out to prove that the car you already owned could be a hero. It was a statement that the love of cars didn't require six-figure investments or private racetracks. All it took was a willing driver and a place where they could drive fast, consequence-free. That resonated. With the release of Underground, Need for Speed went from an enthusiast favorite to a cultural phenomenon. Around 7 million copies were sold in the game's first 6 months, with total sales eventually reaching 15 million. It became one of the best-selling games on PlayStation 2 and launched the series on its path to becoming one of the all-time most successful franchises. That single title accounts for nearly 10% of the sales of the entire 24-game Need for Speed franchise and stands as the first true culture-defining hit of the street racing genre. Underground's focus on customization, driving culture, and accessibility became hallmarks of the series. The way we think about it now, Need for Speed is self-expression, in a slightly more nuanced way than, it, than how it always was. Either that vehicle is aspirational and says something about me, or my connection to that vehicle says something about me, says Matt Webster, who is, sorry, who, as vice president and general manager of Criterion Games, of Criterion Games, oversees the development of Need for Speed titles. Because it's weird to think about this collection of engineering bits and bolts having a soul, or sorry, that's not the way that sentence is supposed to go. Because it's weird to think about this collection of engineering engineering bits and bolts having a soul. But we talk about it all the time. And that's because there's a strange connection between humans and motor vehicles, I think. And one that's very personal. The game reflects that. Every aspect of the series is centered around building and maintaining that connection. Expressive soundtracks of new music became a staple of the series. EA ditched blended-in background music, a hallmark of games like Forza and Gran Turismo, in favor of stuff you'd actually listen to while driving. Hip-hop, hard rock, and metal tracks from real artists brought life to the world, with EA even bringing in big-name artists like, I can't pronounce that, to promote the game. The music, far from being a mere afterthought, was central to the experience. Think of it like how music was central to Baby Driver, and you'd have a pretty good idea of why music was so important for Need for Speed games. Cars, significantly, would never be mere commodities. The team fought hard to avoid the paradox of choice, where overwhelming options prevent satisfaction with a decision. They were intentional and ruthless in trimming down the car list for every game, making sure it never became the bloated 700 car mess that is the Forza menu. With a field that crowded, the machines began to seem interchangeable and disposable. Variety retained its importance. The game needed a few dozen cars to cover tuner options, supercars, sleepers, and classics, but every car had to be memorable. A character in its own right. The car is at the center, but it's a human story, Webster said. The best expression of this ethos came with 2005's Most Wanted, 
a mega hit that sold 16 million copies, making it history's best-selling real-life racing game. The car list included only 32 models. 32! But the story brought players into direct competition with tricked-out liveried versions of the most-wanted villain cars, fighting for, fighting for pinks and a chance to drive them yourself. Forget the enemy drivers, the opposition cars themselves were sinister, aggressive, well-defined villains. The classic blue and white E46, yeah, E46 BMW M3 GTR in particular, was so iconic that fans still recreate the livery in real life. A decade and a half later, Need for Speed has struggled to reach its former heights. The post-most wanted game still sold in the millions, but Lenke notes that the yearly release schedule didn't mesh well with the complexity of modern games. Other yearly game series, such as Call of Duty, have multiple development teams in different studios, allowing each team to work for three years to deliver a fleshed-out product, while publishers enjoy the relevance and added profits of a yearly release. With a small team, it got harder and harder to keep up with the calendar. Carbon, the follow-up to Most Wanted, mustered fewer than a quarter of that game's sales. Pro Street did even worse. The 2010 relaunch of Hot Pursuit brought some life back, but ultimately the 2006-2018 era of Need for Speed was a series of disappointments. From the series reboot, simply titled Need for Speed, to the microtransaction-filled payback, the games, developed by Ghost Games during this time, never reached the same heights as the greatest hits. Need for Speed Heat, the final release by Ghost Games, recaptured some of the magic. Its neon-infused Miami Vice aesthetic and modified Poster 1 cover car signaled the series' return to the silliness and creativity that made it a hit. The game allows you to flip between sanctioned road course racing during the daytime and ditch the cops' action by night with a narrative story punctuated by billboard-busting fun. It's what... It's inspired by what Webster calls the innate stupidity that we love in cars. The sheer absurdity of setting loose a pack of two-ton controlled explosion machines on public roads. It is neither the most realistic nor the most precise driving game on sale. It is easily the most fun. Mm, that's debatable for me, but anyway. People who just love cars, Webster admits, will likely reach for Gran Turismo and Forza. That will always be a powerful niche. But a much larger... Uh, sorry but a much larger group has been brought in by the ongoing boom of the gaming industry. Players who love games but haven't yet fallen for cars. To Webster, Need for Speed's role is to bring them in, to show them what a great driving experience really feels like. It's not about the fastest lap time or the most expensive ride. It's about proving that cars can be so much more than soulless hunks of metal. And you know, and that's kind of interesting because a lot of people have been noting that in the racing genre, the cars, the driving car racing genre, Fewer and fewer games, there are fewer, There are increasingly few arcade driving games. So games like Need for Speed, there's another one that I really can't remember the name of. Uh, Trackmania Studio. There's there's an increasing lack of games like Need for Speed where it's just, it's silly fun with cars. It's not that serious. It's not Assetto Corsa or iRacing or any of those titles. As much as I love those titles, we still need games like Need for Speed. Project Car, uh, no, well, Project Cars 3. Uh, no, I was gonna say Project Gotham Racing, actually, that's the one I wanted to say. There is a place for these games, and it's a shame that we're not seeing more companies go this kind of route. Because even Forza Horizon gets close in some aspects to Need for Speed, but the, cu the customization isn't quite there. The Perhaps the outlaw aspect isn't quite there, and I feel that in, Need for S in Horizon, anyway, the world is 
it can be a bit too... It can be a bit too empty, but even more importantly than that, and this is something I just thought about, I feel like the cards are kind of just an excuse to do dumb stuff. And so, and you know, that's obviously true of cards in real life, but what I mean is, you have all those PR stunts, you have all those story missions, and some of them are really cool, but Need for Speed, something that was quite, that was so obviously correct about the 20, about the Most Wanted 2005 series that this article touched on is that they made the cars the centerpiece. The villains were less the people and more the cars. And to me, in Horizon, with the PR stunts, it's really less about the cars and more so about, oh, get oh so many drift points, crash through so many billboards, and that sort of thing. From my experience with with having some friends that play Horizon 4, that that sense of cars being less the, being more than just soulless hunks of metal came from the multiplayer experience and less so the world itself. Because the world itself, while interesting, is just kind of an open-world driving map. There's not as much to me that celebrates cars in, in perhaps the way that a, a virtual world about cars should. And Need for Speed does that with its... Well, it used to do that with, again, the cars being the villains and and by cars being the villains, obviously, the aggressive body kits and that sort of thing. But it to me, it celebrated the cars a little bit more and perhaps even in heat just due to some of the fun Easter eggs around the world, the racetracks obviously being in the map, and how many modifications you could do visually to the cars and even mechanically. And this is something that I've been thinking about for a while is that Forza really needs to step needs to step up its game because if Need for Speed, if Need for Speed can finally pump out a, not perfect, but a really good, really good, like most wanted 2005 era quality product, I can see less people going to Horizon, although Need for Speed does also need to fix its driving physics because I dislike it greatly. But, although the crew also needs to fix that, but again, Horizon just seems to be, just seems to get a little empty. Like, Horizon 1, that game to me, and that, and obviously there's a little bit of rose-tinted glasses going on, a little bit of nostalgia, but that to me was one of the most alive Forza games. That to me was the game that really celebrated cars the most. And also, I, I'm very biased because I love the mess out of that map because it's Colorado, but the roads, the roads were so good in that map. It wasn't just that map to me had more good roads than Horizon 4 just because they were, they had elevation changes everywhere. The scenery was epic. That, I love Horizon 1. I really do. Horizon 2 is arguably the best in the series because it had even greater roads and it had the best, well, not the best graphics, but certainly better than Horizon 1. A lot of people regard Horizon 2 as the best of both. And, and that, you know, best of the modern era with the graphics, but best of the classic era with the atmosphere. And I, I kind of agree. I really, really agree. But it's a shame Need for Speed, moving away from that topic, it's a shame that Need for Speed seems to be in a bit of trouble. But I think Heat is going in the right direction. They just got to fix the handling, the, the physics. Because bleh, the crew needs to do better. The crew, too, certainly needs to do better. But Heat, while better than the crew, is is still a little bit rough. But yeah, I think in part the, the, kind, the kind of emptiness of a lot of modern games, well, on the racing side, is that... At the very least, as far as AAA games go, they just don't... They lack so much content. Which Forza has been fixing through their updates. They really have. But, you know, more... I'd, I'd like them to focus more on some... On making cars more upgradable than just adding more cars. But, and though, to be fair... To be fair, lack of content was kind of my criticism for a lot of modern games. Just full stop. Because it was graphics and not, not, not much attention was paid to content. Look at Forza Motorsport 5. That was more of a technical showcase of what the Xbox One could do than a 
proper Forza game. That's why Forza Motorsport 6 seek to rectify that. But I have to say, I do I do applaud their mission to make cars seem like more than just soulless hunts of metal. And I have to say, I think 2015 with its story did that the best out of all the modern games, i.e. Heat and Payback, because the cars were so... They were so central to the characters because the characters had specific interests. Amy was a builder, so she made cars that not only looked good but could actually perform. Spike was... What, what did they call it? Not, not A speed hunter, to put it poorly? So not, not a Gymkhana guy, but they have Manu, who, who was... So all their cars were central to them. Their cars represented what they liked about cars. They were very personal. And so to me, the story of 2015 was the best out of all of them because the cars that they had, or at the very least, the relationship, the way they talked about cars and what they liked about car culture was so specific to them. 2015 to me had the best car culture story because it really was personal to the characters and it was specific to them. They had a, a specific, not niche, but a specific area that they appreciated. And you could go down, you could go down all of all the routes, but they had areas that they specifically appreciated. And not all of their acting, not all of the actors' acting was awful. I, I thought they did a pretty good job getting into their characters. Manu was probably one of my favorites. Heat is. It's kind of less so to me because it's just a typical, oh, you know, we're just trying to make it to the top of the food chain in the street racing league. I mean, how many times have we seen that? That's why to me, 2015 had the best story because it wasn't really, it wasn't just that. It was more personal. It's like, yeah, we just want to do cool stuff with cars and impress our idols. Like, that's wholesome as mess. That's way more wholesome than any of the other Need for Speed stories, I think, well, yes, yeah, since or before. And so if you ask me with the next Need for Speed game, it should be more along those lines as well it should focus more on that kind of car culture because the car culture that need for speed has been in is in this outlaw culture and that exists street outlaws is a great example of that but there's more to it than that there is much more to car culture than just that and i'd like to see a game that a i would like to see a game that properly encompasses all of it but that's going to be a while but at the very least i'd like to see the need for speed series especially move in that direction that's just my opinion though about the need for speed franchise and really car games as a whole let me know what you think do you agree i think we've had this talk before when i did a i did a podcast episode about what forza needs to do going into the future for horizon 5 so it was kind of it's kind of interesting to sort of revisit that topic even though i feel pretty much exactly the same way i'd imagine but anyway if you enjoyed then please like the episode share the episode and follow the podcast and if you're watching on youtube then please like comment share and subscribe Hitting the little notification bell and all notifications, that way you'll be notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but don't have or want the Podbean mobile app, well then just boot up wherever you get your podcast before you set off. Type in Cody's Car Conundrum and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I'll see you all next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.